Welcome to Awareness to Action, a podcast brought to you by the Northwestern Community Services Board Prevention Department. I'm your host, Casey, a social worker and prevention specialist here in Virginia. Our podcast goal is to promote wellness through conversation, connection, and action. We hope each episode will leave you feeling inspired and motivated to look for ways to get involved in your own community. Hi, everyone, and welcome back. Today, I'm joined by Yvonne Frazier. Yvonne is the Program Manager for Healthy Families of Shenandoah and Page Counties and founder of Community Care and Learning Center in Newmarket, Virginia, Shenandoah County's first nonprofit child care center. She has worked with family and children for more than 30 years, collaborating with other agencies and groups to creatively address community needs. Yvonne is a graduate of JMU's social work program and a field supervisor for JMU students from several disciplines. In 2019, Yvonne received the Virginia Governor's Award for enhancing the prosperity and quality of life in rural Virginia. Yvonne really embodies the concept of awareness to action. She has paid attention, gathered knowledge, strategized, and networked in ways that have allowed her to make a tangible difference in her community. I'm excited for you to hear about Yvonne's career and the work she has accomplished over the years. We recorded this episode amidst the pandemic, so Yvonne is joining me via Zoom. All right, Yvonne, welcome to the Awareness to Action podcast. I'm so happy you're here. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Let's start with you telling our guests about the work that you do now and the path you took to get here. Okay. Um, My primary role is as program manager for Healthy Families in Page and Shenandoah counties. Healthy Families is a national home visiting program that works with parents and young children starting prenatally and can be with a family until the child turns five. Um, Ideally, we like to begin with women when they're pregnant because we know how important the positive Um, birth outcomes can be if a pregnant woman has received the care and has an understanding of bonding and attachment at that level. And so I enjoy being a part of that and being the supervisor for home visitors there that begin begin working with the families um, prenatally and then stay in contact with them as much as 10 years later. It's really exciting to see the relationships that can develop in that amount of time. Um, And Healthy Families is a a national program that's been around for over 20 years, and they really have a good track record. And I think that's largely because of the relationships that are built. Being able to work with a family for five years, beginning with weekly visits, really is something that's very unique and something that uh, I believe in personally is the importance of relationships. And this program just sort of allows that to happen. And we see amazing things happen with families. So That's where I am now. And as a result of that work and the work um, over the years before that, I'm also a part of the Community Care and Learning Center in Newmarket, which is a new child care center nonprofit um, program. And I am really proud of of helping to develop that and sort of came about because of all the other work that I've done over the years. Shortly after college, I started at Department of Social Services. First, I was in adult services, and then I went into child protective services. And I found myself saying, if we could only have started working with this family sooner, you know, maybe we could have made a a bigger difference. 
And then shortly after our first child was born, my husband and I decided that I would take a break from working full time because being at social services is a, is a pretty intense job and was really kind of having an impact on the way I was looking at raising a child. So I went part time. So it was a, a commitment on our part to our children that I think was really important and allowed me to continue to work part time for about 20 over 20 years, um, still keeping my foot in the door and doing short-term projects that really helped to develop the rest of um, where I wanted to be and what I wanted to do as I went back to work full-time. Um, the first real project that I took on after going part-time was helping to start the Virginia Preschool Initiative that we have here in our county. That was originally called Bright Star, and uh, I was hired to get it up and running within a month. They received the grant and we needed to start the program. And so I was the family support worker there and helped to create um, the documentation and the, the needs assessments and those kinds of things that were done for that program. And it was wonderful because for families who wanted to go to work or whose children had not had a school experience, this gave them a full day experience. And there was a a family piece of that. And so I did some parenting classes and helped parents with some of their own goals and that sort of thing. Um, but I also saw that sometimes parents felt like once that child got on the bus, the parenting and learning was someone else's responsibility. And so I found myself once again saying, if we could only start with the parents and the children together before this child went to preschool, maybe that would make a bigger difference. So the next project that I was able to take on came about from United Way's Success by Six program. And literacy volunteers of Shenandoah County and Department of Social Services and the schools all partnered together to bring that program to our community. And I was tasked with developing a program that would provide a pathway for families that would prepare the children and the parents for school. And based on what I had learned and experienced in my previous jobs, I shared my vision with them that we would create something that would allow parents and children to learn together and help the parents to begin to see themselves as their child's first teacher. So we developed a program that we called Reading, Rhyming, and Readiness that was very quickly shortened to RRR because it was a tongue twister for everybody. But we were focusing on those three things. We were focusing on early literacy, parents reading with children. Rhyming is actually a really important skill for reading. And so there was a lot done with that. And then the readiness for school readiness. And we had weekly group sessions where the parents and children attended together and the teachers were there to encourage the parents to be an active part of the learning. And so they modeled for the parents and parents took responsibilities and the children learned from the adults and from the other children that they were around. And each family had a weekly follow-up home visit with the um, teacher as well, so that the teacher could get a sense of what the home environment was like and how that was impacting the child's ability to learn. At its peak, the program had four group sessions a week going on throughout the county and probably 70 children probably um, each week that was participating. And it was something I was really proud of and like so many things, um, funding ended and that program wasn't able to continue. But Literacy Volunteers has maintained a small RRR group within the Hispanic community. And that's been wonderful. 
So it was about that time that I was approached about healthy families. And again, you know, when you talk about wanting to start earlier, you can't start any earlier than with a program that works with families prenatally and being able to stick with them until the child turns five was something that was really appealing to me as well. I felt like I had learned a lot about education in the previous uh, jobs and was able to put that together with my social work background to really work with families and children together in their home setting. So I've continued in that position now for uh, over 15 years, originally with Shenandoah County and then began splitting my time between the program in Page and Shenandoah counties. And so it was a good place for me. And then after our four children all graduated college, I decided it was time to go back to work full time. And so that was about five years ago. And it hasn't stopped since. Um, it really gave me the opportunity to think about the things that I had seen in other families and some of the patterns I had seen through the years. And then also some of the things within, within our own family that I wanted to be able to find a way to share. And one of the obstacles that I had seen in all of those positions was the need for affordable and accessible childcare um, as a major obstacle for moms who wanted to or needed to go to work. It became a catch-22 of not being able to find a job, but then if you found a job, you couldn't find dependable childcare. Or if you were lucky enough to find a childcare center with an opening or a family or a friend who would do it, you couldn't afford it. Or it, if it was a family or friend, it might not be always dependable. And parents would begin to feel trapped in this. And it could be a downhill spiral um, as that works into not having money and then not having a car and then not being able to get um, to a job or to groceries or to even becoming homeless. And I know that sometimes sounds a little dramatic, but it's not. And I've seen it um, with families. I've seen parents that have gotten into those situations and um, really childcare has been what has, has held them down. And so a little over two years ago, I decided it was time to open a childcare center. And um, because I had a lot of grant writing experience, I felt strongly that a nonprofit childcare center was the go, way to go. And then we would be able to apply for grants. And also childcare is not a money-making business. That's part of the problem. You can't pay staff enough to be able to make it affordable for families. And so um, I wanted to have a, a way for families to be able to work and get ahead in their lives for themselves and their children, but also a safe place for children to be. And I knew that it would take a village and a vision <laughs> to be able to make that happen. And that's kind of where I am now. The center has been open for two years and um, we opened a second building or classroom section and we are full and um, continuing to to serve families not without challenges but it's a, a good service to the community that i'm really proud to have been a part of it's a huge service to the community and i love any career i think it's exciting when anyone tells me about their career path but with yours it's i think it's really beautiful to hear the connecting pieces in this I mean, really lifetime of serving families in the community and to 
to currently be in this place where you've been a part of developing something that's integral to the community is, I don't know, it's just really cool. <laughs> well, I feel like I was, I was lucky and, and blessed um, in certain ways. And we made a choice for our family that allowed me to have that time to um, be able to do this. I wouldn't have had the knowledge, skills, or time to have done it, you know, 10 or 20 years ago. And so um, I'm, I'm happy to have had the opportunity. I'd love to hear more about the aha moments, because I'm sure it was a collection rather mm -hmm. than just one that allowed you to recognize that childcare was a connecting issue for so many in the community. You know, Casey, I think really the first aha moment I didn't even realize that it was an aha moment so much. Um, it was when our young, our oldest daughter was about 18 months old and I was going to be going back to work part-time. And so we were trying to figure out childcare. And so my thought was to look at centers and providers, not necessarily to my mom, she was still working as well, so she couldn't do it full-time. And we visited one of the best centers in the county um, at the time. And I remember leaving there thinking it was dark and not particularly inviting and the staff seemed really stressed and I couldn't do it. And I remember thinking then, I feel, I feel lucky that I can do something else and I feel badly for the people who can't and for the people who are working so very hard there. And so, over the years, I would still go back to that center and I would donate things and um, take toys and try to support their fundraisers. And, and then years later, I actually went on a childcare board, which was very important as I began to um, want to create the Community Care and Learning Center. But it was that moment of thinking of leaving my child there and realizing what a difficult place that could be. And I think it sort of stuck with me over the years in healthy families, I think what I saw was when we would have a young mom, um, particularly I think of a teen mom that we had in our home visitor, would drive the girl and her child to a childcare center that was opposite direction of school, and she would take the girl to school, and the child had some um, health issues. So often she would be picking the child, the teen up, to go pick up her child to go home because the child couldn't be there. And at that point, I'm thinking we need something with our schools that would be related to that. More recently, we've really found a lot of parents are finding their childcare on Facebook. And that's just a little scary to me. Um, but people do what they have to do to be able to keep a job. And so I think it was it was some of those moments that really made me realize this is um, a broad problem. And the families I've known through healthy families that have had to quit a job, you know, they've gotten a job, they found childcare, but then it doesn't work out. And so they've lost a job and that really makes them, um, you know, feel a little hopeless. I'm also a grandmother now and our daughter and her husband have, you know, good jobs, but they've got two children in childcare and they're paying $300 a week and they have to balance who can pick them up when because the hours don't always match. And so I think it was from taking her to a childcare center and now seeing her as a mother 
um, you know, 30 years later, struggling still with childcare. So those have all sort of come about or, you know, kind of added to this. And the timing, I think, is good. I mean, whether it was COVID or just timing in general, um, state and federal legislators are beginning to see that early care is really important. And I, I hope we don't get too caught up in it being all about uh, school readiness or trying to teach too early. There needs to be a lot of holding, a lot of snuggling, and a lot of just being safe that goes on and making it um, affordable for parents as well. Absolutely. I like that you just brought up the importance of the snuggling and the cuddling and the safety because they really do get overlooked in these bigger conversations about childcare and especially school readiness. They indeed do. So as you have taken in knowledge over the years and experiences and put it together to create the work that you're doing now, I know that you've come up against barriers because it is simply inherent to good work to come up against those barriers. Um, would you tell us about how you overcome or work around barriers to what you're trying to get done? Well, I think for one thing, I have learned over the years that I don't accept the answer no very well. Um, and by that, I, I don't mean I'm disrespectful about that. I just think that when someone says no, there's usually a way to say, well, what would it take to make that possible? Or, or what do you think has been tried before that got in the way? And so I think that that's a big part of, um, of what I've done. And having a group of people together that can bring different ideas is important. I try not to surround myself necessarily with people that think like me or have the same experiences. Um, a long time ago, I remember someone telling me that it's always important to surround yourself with people that are a little bit smarter, that know a little bit more, that are a little more professional than you, because that's how you learn. You know, you can spend your time wanting to be the, the smartest person in the room, but then you don't grow as a person. And I also think that I've um, looked at what my strengths were and what areas I needed support in. So if I'm working on a project, I always want to have a diverse set of skills in the group. And by that, I mean, there's always going to be one detail person and one numbers person, because those are not my strengths. I can do them, but it takes a lot more energy on my part. And I need those people to keep me in line. So I think I'm much better at um, creating a vision. And I, I do think that's a really important part of collaboration and of um, overcoming barriers. When I was working to develop the, the Community Care and Learning Center, one of the first things I did was to create what I considered a vision statement. And then as we grew, um, put the board together, I shared that and said, this is my vision. What can you feed into it that we make it our vision? And it was a really effective um, process because I think if you can present a clear and powerful purpose and vision for a project and you're able to clearly articulate that vision with passion, you can get people to be invested. And that I think is probably something I've 
is somewhat of a gift that I have developed over the years is being able to do that and, and to share that passion. And also to help people realize that things they think they may not be affected by, they really are affected by. Um, that's, you know, I, I think about people who say, oh, well, you know, I don't need childcare or I don't need the schools. You know, I don't have children in the schools, but we're all impacted by that. And so in overcoming barriers, I think, I think you have to talk a lot and I can usually do that until someone says, stop, please stop. Uh, but we, you have to dig deep. You have to look below the surface. And, and you have to do that to be able to figure out how to overcome barriers. And sometimes you have to do it to even figure out what the real barrier is. Um, going back to the part about employers and childcare, when we were looking at starting the childcare center again, I reached out to businesses a lot and I would say things like, your employees need childcare and there's a shortage of childcare. And I would have employers say, my employees don't need childcare. Well, no, that's because they have childcare or they couldn't be your employees. And so when you see an ad in the paper and they keep getting bigger and bigger looking for employees, it's not because people can't see that ad. It's because they can't respond to your ad because of a barrier. So I think sometimes we have to be, we have to ask the right questions to understand what the real barriers are. The barriers for employers, at least to some extent, has been a lack of childcare. So particularly women are not applying for those jobs because even if they get them, they can't afford the childcare for the two weeks until they get their first paycheck. There are people working, living paycheck to paycheck. And if you didn't have one and you had to pay the childcare center before you got one, then, then it's not working out. So to me, overcoming barriers really has to do with putting a lot of heads together and figuring out the right questions to ask and then tackling pieces at a time um, because there are many things that go into a project and most things have a way to be solved. It may not happen right away, you know, but if you talk about it enough over a couple of years, then you can begin to see change. And that's how I feel about childcare right now. This has been something, it's been an issue for a long time and finally, the federal and state governments are beginning to see that this is something that impacts everyone. It's not just people who have children that are impacted by that. Yeah, and I I think sometimes when people see work being done, like the Community Care and Learning Center, the development of that, you think, wow, that's so cool. And they did something just for the community. And because it's like a, a good, helpful thing, you think of it as, wow, it, just happened and now it's so good for all of us, but really it's like so much strategy, so much planning, so much hard work, so much identifying that, you know, what, here's what the barrier looks like, but here's what it actually is. Indeed. It's not just a nice little, you know, learning center that pops up out of the ground. <laughs> no, it, it really isn't. Um, the amount of, again, detailed things, you know, the things you don't even think about. And with a childcare center, I mean, the first thing we had to do was, you know, become a, an, a corporation. Um, it was a nonprofit corporation, but there's, you know, paperwork to be done for one of those. And then there's additional paperwork to be a nonprofit. And then you have to have a board and then you have to have bylaws and you 
have to have all of these pieces in place before you're even legally able to do that. And again, finding people that you could convince to come into something like this, because everybody's busy. And I don't really think we're quite as um, community oriented in terms of volunteer work as we were at one point um, for whatever reason. So finding people who are willing to take on a brand new project like that is, um, is really challenging. And then of course, for, for a childcare center, it's a state licensed, Department of Social Services licenses childcare centers. And then within the county, you have um, the building inspection and the health inspection and the fire inspector and all of those people have to give their side of things. And sometimes there's um, conflicting opinions or what one will say does not support what the other one wants to do. And so, yes, all of that that goes on in the in the background is what makes it difficult. I know it's always been said if you do something really well, if you it's you make it look easy when you do it really well, but um, all of that work that goes on in the background really does take up a lot of time. And that's why people can't always take on these things. I mean, timing is really important. And sometimes people have to say, I can do this and this is all I can do. But if you don't do that, then that's a piece that's being left out of a, of a, of a project or um, you know, collaboration within the community. We were really lucky to be able to bring in community groups, church groups. Rotary was one of the most supportive um, that we had. Um, as I said, going down the road with businesses was a little bit more challenging, but again, their, their focus is a little different, and I think that time will come. But we, were, we did a, a pretty good job, I think, of mixing grant writing, like that was kind of my piece. And then someone else was talking with businesses and someone else was talking with the Rotary and the churches and that sort of thing. Um, and I believe those were some of the things that made it, made it important. We were much stronger when we brought our pieces together. And that's really what collaboration is. I want to talk more about that interagency connection in the community because on this podcast, at least, we talk a lot about the beauty and importance of interpersonal connection, but it matters just as much in the community. So, yeah, I just love to hear you speak more about building those relationships and fostering collaboration among members of very different disciplines and interest groups in the community. Yeah, I feel like probably, again, because I've lived and worked here for a long time and um have valued relationships, you know, personally, but also on the um, more agency level. That was helpful for me. You know, when we got ready to do this, I knew somebody at social services. I knew someone at Northwestern. I knew someone at Family Promise. Um, I had spoken to Rotary in the past, you know, so I had some of those kinds of connections to draw on. And being able to, I, I sometimes think about collaborate like, it's collating and building. Like the collating, you know how you, those things come out of the copier and they have to go in in the right order. And I really think that's key. Like you have to have, you have to have the right pieces to fit together sort of in the right order. And then you can, can build from there. And being able to really talk to people about their strengths and what they have to bring to the table is important. You hear about people talk about you know, operating in silos and those kinds of things. And through my career, I've seen times when that happened a lot and times when it happened 
less, but really the key is finding the, the one thing that you have in common. Like when I'm talking to the Rotary, I'm not telling them they should be involved in this project for the same reason that I'm telling Family Promise or a business. You know, so it's, it's, it's a sales job a lot of times. It really is. Collaboration is about lifting people up, um, giving them a vision, having them feel that they have an important role in what's going to happen. And again, that, that vision, I think, is um, big. That has to be kind of in, in the forefront for people. Even things like choices of paint colors. Um, I'm, I am a JMU alumni. I have a lot of JMU students. I've often said that JMU has this wonderful um, resource pool that needs to get a little bit out of Harrisonburg. And so from the beginning, it was my intent to have JMU to be involved in our program. And so we went with a light lavender and a light yellow that were perfect for young children, but also sort of shared that vision. You know, these little guys might grow up to be Dukes. And, you know, we, when the JMU students come to volunteer or to do internships, we encourage as much as we can their, um, you know, JMU attire, that kind of thing. And so when I talk to JMU students about their role and what they can do to support this program and how they can collaborate, it's a whole different story than when I say to family promise, you're having a family that you're trying to get back to work so that they're not homeless, we can provide a childcare opportunity for you. Um, the schools, when they're saying, we don't have enough children being prepared for school, we're saying we can do that. Um, and then we work with them on things that, you know, they're surplus, things that they don't need in their schools anymore. And in-kind support and um, Volunteer time is just as important as money in, in terms of trying to make something like this um, work. And so it's that kind of working together and helping to find the piece of your vision that fits the best with another organization's mission or vision. Um, and that's what I think we've probably we've probably done. We have a lot of good community partner agencies. And I, um, I don't know, I just feel like there's at least one person in each of them that we kind of think the same, or I can talk a lot and maybe get them to see it a little bit more that way. But we have some good partnerships within Page and Shenandoah counties. Um, I think you have to identify, you know, at least one other person that you can take on a big project with. And sometimes it's even someone you've met sometime and you've thought there's going to be a time we'll work together again. Um, you know, I have a couple, I've made notes of those kinds of things, maybe at a, a meeting or a conference or something where I'm thinking that's a name I want to remember because there's going to be a time when we'll be able to work together on things. Um, it's a lot of moving pieces and a lot of um, putting together the pieces of a puzzle, I think, to be able to make that work. And particularly nonprofits, but businesses obviously as well have goals. But if we work together on this, we're much more likely to be able to address a lot of our concerns in the community. I have three major thoughts from everything you just said. The first is go Dukes. <laughs> I love, <laughs> love the JMU connection. I don't think I've ever said this on the podcast, but I am also a Duke. Um, 
So I love that you've accessed such uh, such an incredible resource. And we live in a region and a state with uh, so many incredible universities. And so it's, I just think it's awesome to be able to take advantage of that. Um, my second thought is just the inherent hope in choosing to collaborate with community partners, like the idea that there will be a common ground between what I'm trying to do and what this person or group or business is trying to do, or there will be someone there who sees things similarly to the way that I do. I just think that's really important and really special. Yeah, uh, I don't, it's not very often that I think that it won't happen. I mean, that's not, you know, on a daily basis on my to-do list that that's not the case. But when I have a vision for something like that, I try to be patient. Um, but it, I do, I go in with this feeling that this is important and it will happen. I say, you know, timing is everything. Everything happens for a reason and they will come together. Yeah. The last thing I was really thinking about as you were talking was what a testament this is to the importance of networking and building connections in any field. I, I am a social worker and my peers that I graduated with who were business majors or communications majors, it was part of their courses, you know, how to network and how to build connections um, with people that you might work with again down the road. And I just don't think we view it the same way in, in professions that are, you know, maybe thought of as more helping professions, but it's really important and like a critical piece of getting work done in the community. And so I appreciate that you shared that because I think for anybody in a, a field where they're wanting to contribute meaningfully to the community, it is really important to, to remember folks that you meet and mm -hmm. how they might work with you in the future and to be a little bit strategic in who you get to know and, and how you engage moving forward. But I don't really think we're taught that. Well, I think in the helping profession, it's more about we will collaborate and work together and everything will go nicely and we'll do this to help other people. We don't always think, if I want this to happen, what do I have to do to make it happen? And, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, you know, as with the Child Care Center, it is a business and it is a helping center as well. We're helping people, but we have to operate as a business as well. And as things have changed over the years um, and become more complicated, just as life has, it is important for us to do that. You know, I, I took a, um, a course or a, a series of courses at JMU in nonprofit management, and we had to set up a LinkedIn account. And this was, you know, way back. And I'm like, why do I need a LinkedIn account? But it's important. It, it's those people, as I talked before, people that are a little bit smarter or a little bit richer or a little bit more well-known that you might need to connect with at some point. And um, I heard someone at a conference one time that then I reached back out to to um, be a presenter at something we were, we were doing. And so it, it is important because the networking almost has to come before the collaborating. When I talked about I have like one person in each of those organizations, that's kind of my go-to. Um, you know, I'm not necessarily going to go to their organization with my whole idea, but I share it with someone that I have a, have networked with, that I have some shared um, understanding, and they're then able to go to 
others and, and spin it in a little bit different way that's more fitting to that organization. And, and yes, we just have not always thought about that in social work, but it, it is important for the greater work that we do. And similarly, talking about how strategy matters, even mm-hmm. in these helping professions, I know that you feel strongly about creating programs and projects that are done well and are able to be replicated. Mm-hmm. Why is that so important? We don't have enough time to reinvent the wheel all the time. Um, and we should probably not think that we're the only ones that can think of an idea. Now, it goes back to the thing about the barriers. There's something we have to do to make it different, to make it work for the situation. But um, I remember years ago, and again, I think mentors, people that have crossed our paths through our lives, there are little things that we remember that they've said or they showed us, that kind of thing. Um, and I was, it was when we were doing the Reading Rhyming Readiness Program, and I was working with a, a very experienced person who had retired from um, early literacy work. And she's the first one that really talked to me about replicating programs. And I thought, oh yeah, not only then is that a testament to you having done a good job and you can feel proud of it, but it can save other people a lot of work. And there were some real, um, I'm not going to call them barriers. I'm going to call them challenges, but there were definite challenges when we started the child care center with licensing and licensing and inspections and all of those things that I would just love and have somewhat started kind of a guidebook of that. Like these are the pieces that, that you, um, you need to get these out of the way first, or if they tell you this, make sure to check on that. Um, and so that's why it's important to me as much as anything is that we, I want things to not be as difficult for people. And for me personally, you know, there's this personal pride that if I'm, if my name is going to be associated with it, I want it to be um, a quality program. And certainly the, the child care center is the biggest undertaking that I've, that I've done in that way. But there are, even in doing that, there were examples from other places that I looked at um, and that I researched, not necessarily so many local, but I could say, oh, this would work. Now that part won't apply in Shenandoah County, but it's important to, to have a quality program that's replicable because you may be saving someone else some time in trying to do that. And the program that you create, there's pride to be taken in in that being a quality program. Just continued service (laughs) to the community and you create something great and then you give others the tools to create it elsewhere. And it can always be improved upon as well. You know, it's all still a moving moving target sometimes. Yeah. Well, and I think that ties to what you're saying about we we should probably not think that we're the only ones with the ideas or the, the best way of doing something. That's a huge part. I mean, I would assume of the work that you do is being open to, to other methods and routes and things that you couldn't have thought of yourself. Absolutely. I've, I've never seen anything black and white. There's always another option, another way of looking at it. Um, you know, I feel that I'm pretty, pretty open to different ideas and even having different ideas myself. Well, if we went this path, it would be this way. And if we went this path, it could be this and which one is better or should we just put them together. But yes, it's important to be open-minded and, and um, know that the, 
best good comes from the collective. I don't want to turn this podcast into a flattery fest, but your work is highly regarded in the community. And I think if the phrase, I just don't know how she does it, were ever to be applied to somebody, it could be applied to you. Um, and so you've you've already shared some of what has worked for you in your career, but I would I just would love for you to share some wisdom with anyone who's listening to this episode and is thinking, you know, I want to take my ideas, like the things I know could help my community and put them into action, but it all feels so daunting. I don't know if you just want to share a word or two about that. (laughs) I wish it was as easy as that. And I wish I really kind of understood it that well. Um, Again, part of it goes back to timing, you know, and, and, really mulling with something for a while and and trying to get it to the point where it can be a project. And, and a project in and of itself sounds like it's time limited and you just do it and then it's done and it's perfect. And, and that's not the way I think of things. It's really more about a journey. Um, I surround myself by people that can help me make things happen. I mean, My healthy family staff have been wonderful during the last two years because a lot of my, I mean, they're very connected. We have children from healthy families in the child care center. We're looking at some expansion projects this coming fall that will also serve children in the program. But, you know, they could do a lot of the work themselves, you know, and and so I had some extra time for that. and again, as I said, when, when I'm trying to do something, I'm reaching out to people that I know have those skills and those resources and those kinds of things to make it happen. The other thing that I think I've done is I try to compartmentalize things. I work on a lot of things at one time, but I try to focus on one for at least, you know, an hour or something, um, you know, to be able to get some things done because it's a it's a balance between that big picture. I mean, you have to have that vision, you have to have that um, that kind of plan in your head, but then you have to do the nitty gritty. You know, you have to finish that nonprofit application. You have to do those tax forms. You know, and so I think that that that's important to me. Also, being able to have those years at home with our children was much more important to my career than I thought it would be. I think we just have to not be afraid to take risks and know that if we take a risk and something happens and it doesn't go the way we want, well, that's okay too. Um, But during those years of being able to be home with our children, at least half of the time, I never worked more than 20 hours a week and a lot of times had the summers off because it was, you know, connected to the schools. But I took time to think and sometimes to write and to really reflect on what I saw, what I would want to keep, what I would not want to keep and what I wanted to tweak. And so for me, it was a real um, kind of evolution of things that were able to come together. I would never have thought that when I left social services full-time, you know, state job, we talked about it, like, will I ever be able to get back into my career? And will we able to be able to make it? And, you know, all of those things, but it was the right thing for our family. And it was 
now I realize it was the right thing for my profession because I was able to stay part-time in a lot of different things. I had the opportunity to start some small programs that actually came with funding compared to the one that we did with the child care center. But um, that I think has been, has been the success. I'm, I feel that I am a pretty reflective person and I try to, to look at things um, in that way and, and that, that helps things to grow. I also don't sleep a lot at night. And so that might be a little bit of it as well. And I don't have small children anymore, so. Sure, sure. <laughs> um, it, it sounds like just paying attention, paying attention to the, the work that lights you up inside and paying attention to what you're learning along the way and paying attention to how your personal life integrates with your professional life because we you know, at the end of the day, can't separate them. They're all parts of who we are. And then uh, being a little creative with where you take it. Yeah, I, you know, being positive is is a big part of it. If you just assume that people are going to follow you, I mean, if you are able to share your, your vision, um, you know, that helps. And people see the positive and they say, well, she believes in it, so probably we can make it happen. Um, and I think that we also have a responsibility as a community to recognize that people need help, need help to be resilient. You know, we talk about resiliency, we talk about people being able to overcome things in their past, um, you know, whether it's substance use or um, a terrible childhood, but sometimes there are things that get in the way of that, but the person, not only did they not have control over maybe a terrible childhood, they don't have control over the fact that there is not good childcare in their community. The families who that we're trying to build up can't make some of those things happen. And so, um, you know, sort of reframing what resilience really means for us as a community. People need to be resilient, but communities need to, to recognize what they can do to help individuals within their community to be, um, to be resilient too. You know, I, I, I think about, like I said, the, the idea that someone wants to go to work so badly, but don't, doesn't have that childcare or someone that, um, you know, loses their food stamps, their SNAP, because they're working and they've now gone $50 over the limit, but they lost, you know, $350 worth of food stamps. What can we do in, in food programming to be able to help with that? Um, you know, someone wants to go to work, they need childcare, they found a job. Um, we need to be able to look at what our responsibility as a community is in helping individuals to be resilient and meet those goals, as I said before, that will impact our community. It's not, we can't just say that those things are all individual. We talk in social work, there's micro, you're working with the family, and there's macro, and you're working with the community. And over the years, I think my role as more of an advocate to make a broader change is uh, what I've tried to do. And that kind of goes back to what we were talking about with being able to replicate a program. You know, if you advocate for a greater change or you create a program that can impact in other ways, hopefully that will have a, a greater impact on a larger group of people and the community. Yeah. I feel like this, our last question that we ask everyone is just an extension of what you are sharing. But um, I want to ask, what does the process of awareness to action mean to you? We only know what we know. And we don't know what we don't know. 
And so being aware of something is the only thing that is going to motivate someone or a group of people to act. I remember years ago in Healthy Families when we were talking about um, back to sleep, you know, and so you don't put babies on their tummy. And we had a new mom, first child, and the home visitor went out and was explaining that. And she went, oh, they told me in the hospital not to do that, but they didn't say why. And so he was quieter when I put him on his stomach. So I just did it. Once we know, once we're aware, once we have an understanding of the impact something can have, we're much more likely to act and to, to be motivated to act. And so I think that's I think that's really important. We go through our lives, we drive down the road, we see houses, we see children, and we have no idea of what is going on in their lives. Um, and having some additional awareness, not necessarily of that particular child or that particular home, but the situations that are different from what we might know in our daily lives can motivate us um, to move towards action and to understand that there is action that needs to be taken. So I don't think I thought about it when I first heard the name of the podcast series, but once we started to talk about um, doing this, I was actually very impressed with whoever came up with that because it does um, it, it does show where we're trying to move. If, if you understand something and understand that you can have a role, you're much more likely to be able to feel good about being a part of, of making a change. Yeah, and figuring out how you fit into the equation. Yes. Huge. Well, Yvonne, I am so grateful that you uh, said yes to being on the podcast. Um, I just really can't think of anything more inspiring than someone seeing a need and putting in the hard work and effort to address that need in a way that's meaningful and um, really opens the door for future opportunities. So I am grateful that you shared some of your insight and, and really grateful for the work you're doing. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate the opportunity and you know, I I feel like if it weren't for the people around me and the way that things have happened, it wasn't just me that made them happen. But um, I do think that the child care center and child care in general is a really important thing for us to address right now. And it will take collaboration and community to continue to make that happen, not just in the new market area, but throughout the county and throughout the country. Absolutely. Well, thanks for being here. Thank you. I've enjoyed it. Thanks for listening. Believe it or not, this was the final episode of Season 1 of the Awareness to Action podcast. We are grateful for the incredible guests we had on this season and for our listeners who have shown so much support for this initiative. We'll take a little break for the summer, though we do have a few fun bonus episodes we'll be posting and then we'll return in September for Season 2 with more amazing guests and great conversation. Make sure to subscribe so you don't miss anything. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.